You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to the AME Radio Show, the show that is the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. I'm your host, Jason Dowd. we got a great show for you guys today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we talk about everything art, music, and entertainment. But before we get into anything, though, go check out our websites, www.theamemagazine.com. While you're there, you'll be able to see everything that is about the AME experience on our magazine, television, and radio show. And you'll also be able to see all the links to our social media platforms. Please like us, follow us, or do whatever you need to do. We want to have you included in that and be in the conversation there as well. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. We're on it. Also, you can download our free app for the Apple or Android platform. We encourage you to do that, too. It keeps you in the know. You also get push notifications on who's coming out. And then we also have um, our newsletter you can sign up for as well. Okay, so... You know, this is the second week of January. We're really excited because football's right around the corner here. Well, not football, but the Super Bowl is right around the corner. So we are just about ready to see all those crazy commercials. And I got to admit, they haven't been as good as they used to be in the past. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the PC crowd that's kind of toning things down, but I've been seeing a lot of political agendas pushed inside of these commercials, and I'd much rather see something fun and stupid. You know, that's why I watch it. But I also watch it to see my team win, and hopefully your team is still in it. Uh, We are in the divisional round this week, so uh, the wild card weekend is over, and that means the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Saints, and the Rams are going to be hosting the the other teams. So uh, we're going to get to see that, and then whoever wins out of these will go to the NFC and AFC championship game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so... Today we have a couple of great guests coming up. Like I said, uh, our first one is Michael J. Bowler. He is a sci-fi novelist, and he has written a book called Children of the Night, K-N-I-G-H-T. He has done a lot of low-budget horror films. He's, a, he's also done a lot of screen um, screenplays, and he also taught high school. So his books are really interesting. I cannot wait to get into that with him. I think you guys are going to fall in love with it. Then we have uh, Spence Reed coming up. He is a eclectic sounding uh he's an eclectic sounding artist he has he goes from rock to pop to blues to r&b so there's something for everybody in his music i like that you know he's not just to one genre he's got a little bit of feel for everything so if you like rock and you like jazz you like him uh if you like them together you're gonna like them and if you like a little bit of everything you're gonna like him too and he just put a brand new uh single out called i want you to and we're going to be playing that here at the end of the of the interview, so you're not going to want to miss that. So we got a lot of great music coming up. And then um, I'm going to be introducing a brand new single coming out here from Sebastian Azul coming up in just a few minutes. But before we go into any of the music or the guests, I want to talk to you guys about something that it just kind of hit home today because I was reminded of this. Now, we see a lot of stuff that's happening out there, violence you know, uh, towards people, uh, bullying. All kinds of different things. Now, I have been bullied my entire life. You can't imagine the isolation I have gone through and the physical and mental abuse that I have that I have received since I was in school. Now, it kind of got released when I was... It, it, it toned down when I was in high school, uh, when I got out of high school, but it's still there. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of advice that I learned from my karate instructor when I was up in Connecticut. He said this, when you're in, inside of a, a conflict, you always try to talk your way out of it. That's the first thing you do. You try to diffuse the situation with your voice and your words. Use wisdom. Do not lose your mind. Con- keep control of your emotions and talk to them one-on-one and try to explain the situation. Diffuse it there. If you can't do that, you try to walk away. Because you're not going to have any success there. No matter what you say, it's not going to go away. This person's still heated, and you're still in danger. So try to walk away. If you cannot walk away, 
then you must defend yourself with every passion that you have. And that means physical you know, uh, attacks in order to protect yourself, but never take the first shot. You know, I lived by those my entire life, and I have diffused a lot of situations that came from bullies. Uh, not too long ago, you may have seen it on the radio, uh, the, the television and the news, you may not have. And that was when we had a squatter living across the street from us. Well, one night he came over there, he was high as a kite on some type of crystal meth. He had a bat, and he was prepared to not only kill me, but kill my wife too. And he came to the door and tried to get in my house. And what I did is I had no weapon. I was uh, The only thing I had was my strawberry shortcake uh, pop from Good Humor. I put it down. I walked out the door. I got right in his face, looked him straight in the eye. I was scared to death. I will not lie. But I didn't let him see it. And I looked at him eye to eye and said, you have one shot with that bat. You better kill me on it. If you do not, it will be your worst mistake you've ever made. That's all I said. I gave him a threat that I wasn't going to back down. I didn't have a weapon, and he knew that. He did. He realized that I'm not joking here, and something, something's wrong with this situation. He came at me with, and I have a bat. He came at me and is threatening me. Now, I had no intention of hitting him. I didn't want to hit him at all. But there was no way I could be able to talk to him because he was not right mentally because of the, the drugs he was on. So what he ended up doing was backing away. It was the only thing he knew what to do. I diffused the situation by using my brain, not losing my cool, and also using my words. Had he not been able to, had I not been able to diffuse the situation like that, I would have had to get away. I would, I would, I would walk away. And then I was prepared that if that didn't work, I was going to have to fight for my life. So that's one of the things. If you're a bully or you know somebody that is being bullied, tell them that information. You know, because words hurt. Yes, they do. But you can't let them get to your soul. You can't let them get to your heart. If you do that and you give back and you start attacking them back, that's what gives them the power. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for you to, to, to react to it. When they don't get a reaction out of it, 90% of the time they walk away. Sometimes they get a little bit more gruff, like what this man did, and then's when I had to take it to the next step, but I still used my words. I used my brain. I did not lose my, my cool. But I was prepared to walk away, and I was also prepared to fight if I needed to. So those are, that's my little advice uh, to start off the new year because I see a lot more bullying going on in school now. I've been seeing it on the news. I've been seeing it on Facebook. Stop Stop and think about how to, how to deal with this safely, okay? All right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to introduce our brand new artist that's coming on. His name is uh, Sebastian Azul. His song name is Mental Health Warriors, and I thought this would be a great song to kind of complement what I just talked about. His name is, uh, he's an independent upcoming awareness artist, songwriter, and producer. He's based in the UK. He was born in Angola and raised in England. He decided to become an artist to raise awareness and empower others living and struggling with mental health and neurological disorders. I love this. He's using music to do it. Most of my music is intended to inform, educate, motivate, and comfort others. That's what he said. Guys, we're going to be playing right here, Mental Health Warriors, right now. We're going to go to a quick commercial break after that, and when we come back, we're going to have Michael J. Baller on the line. So don't go in. Now, ladies and gentlemen and children, before the commercial break, I mentioned an extraordinary awareness indie group who call themselves MHW, which stands for Mental Health Warriors. They're here and they're going to perform for us right now. I think the main question that people have is, guys, what sort of awareness are you all speaking
been drifting in despair Using anything I can get, temporary repair Just trying to be me, but I'm living in fear Yeah, I have a family, but most of them don't care Admitting of suffering from anxiety and depression To the likes of my family, it's out of the question Especially for a man, so I swallow my confession Nobody understands that I isolate for protection My brain is a servant, agoraphobia holds me prisoner Birds at my porch and they are my only visitor Fake facial expressions play like I'm staying strong Go through my music collection, seeking relatable songs Drinking problems away, till my boo starts to taste strong Slurring my speech and steady, your feet are way gone I thought I was close to my family, but they just called Mental health is up and down ever since you bailed y'all ADHD, autism, Tourette's syndrome, bulimia, bulimia, depression, depression, schizophrenia, schizophrenia, anxiety, anxiety, addiction, addiction, self harm, cutting, bipolar, OCD, panic ODD, PTSD, schizophrenia, agoraphobia, DID. Anorexia Gladdy's goodies. Are you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too, especially since I developed pancreatitis. They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to gladdiesgoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag and pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com. Hi, I'm Paulina Lagudi. I'm the creator of Mail Order Monster, releasing November 6th on demand. Hi, this is Serena Palmer from Radio Rebel, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Yeah. 
Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. His name is Michael J. Bowler. He's an award-winning author who just released his brand-new novel, Children of the Night. And it's not the night like you think of. It's K-N-I-G-H-T. He's also a low-budget horror film creator. He's also written stage plays. And he has uh, a one middle grade and three... Uh, young adult novels to his name, so he's got a lot of creativity going through his body and through his mind, and we're excited to talk to him about all this and how he got into writing, and of course, talk about his brand new book. So welcome to the show, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jason. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for coming on and sharing uh, sharing your story with us, and you know, that's always something fun that we love, to, that we love here at the AME Radio Show. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you get into writing? When when did you uh, when did you start? Did you did you start when you were in school and go into any contest or anything like that? I was always an avid reader growing up as a child, and I just loved writing. Also, I was writing little stories in elementary school, writing stories in high school. So it's just always been something that I have done. I I, I don't even know where it began. It's just a passion. Hmm. What kind of stories did you enjoy when you were growing up and, and reading? And even to this day, what are some of your favorite uh, some of your favorite topics? My favorite authors, you say? Uh, topics, uh, stuff that you like that really interests you when you read. Oh well, I like I like reading. I do like reading books involving teenagers. I've spent most of my life working with uh, teenagers and, and young people, and I find it's, it's it's an interesting time period in our lives. And I, I like reading stories that challenge teenagers to, to think in different ways. And even me as an adult, I love reading that kind of thing because I feel like it, it maybe, I don't know, maybe it keeps me young, but I, I, it's what I write, and so I enjoy reading it. Now, when you were, um, you know, when you were growing up, even today, I see that you do a lot of stuff, but you've done some uh, low-budget horror films and stuff. It, was horror one of the genres that you like to read about and write about? Yes. Uh, horror has always been a, a, a passion of mine also. Uh, much to my parents' chagrin, they couldn't understand why I liked horror movies and read books like Stephen King, right? They didn't understand that, and they didn't like it, but I, I, I've just always been drawn to that. One of my favorite shows as a young child was Dark Shadows, which was kind of a, a spooky afternoon soap opera about vampires and werewolves and witches. I was addicted to that. Mm. That's interesting. Who are some of your favorite uh, authors in for, as far as horror genres go? Well, probably Stephen King would be would be my favorite. Uh, I've also written read you know Whitley Strieber, I've written some of his books, and Robert McCammon. So there's a few that come to my mind that that I enjoy. You know, one of the things that I've seen with horror movies and horror books and everything like that is that you can be as creative as you want, and sometimes the crazier the story, the more entertaining it is. So, um, you know, when you write when you write horror, what are the what are some of the things you try to incorporate with your with your storylines? Well, I try to, to tell a story that I haven't seen myself about a hundred times already. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say there are no really new stories, but at least new angles on old ideas is a good way to go. And so, I try to do something different. And I do have a horror novel out there that is called Spinner. And all of the characters in it have a disability. I, I've been a high school teacher and taught kids with disabilities. And so all of these characters are very unique in that they have some kind of disability and they can't read or write, but they have to solve this mystery and keep from getting killed and preventing other people from being killed. But they have to do it without the regular skills that you see in, in most of these horror films. Now, what about the, what about the intellectual thrillers and stuff? Cause, you know, sometimes that's just as scary as some of these horror movies where they actually play mind games and, and, you know, go back and forth with you that way. That, that to me seems just as, as scary or sometimes scarier than some of these typical horror movies and, and horror novels that you'd see. And it makes you think. Oh, no, I agree with you completely. Those, those I love. I like because I don't, I'm not into gore. I mean, there's a horror genre that's just really gore and people, you know, a, a mass murderer going around and killing people. That's not my thing. I do prefer something that's more intellectually challenging and mysterious, and especially if it's really well written and the plot adds up, you know, once you get to the end, it's like, wow, this happened earlier that set this whole thing up and it's so clever. Like The Sixth Sense was a great example of a of an awesome uh, uh, horror script. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you get some of your inspiration from when you when you decide you're going to write something? Usually, just from my my life my life experience. As I mentioned, I've worked with a lot of kids in different genres and different different 
you know, venues. I have been, uh, worked many, many years in the juvenile justice uh, department and worked with incarcerated kids. I've taught high school for many years. I've worked with middle grade kids and younger kids and other volunteer situations. And they really, they give me ideas. They give me the, the, the impetus to, to, to write a story about some of maybe their experiences they've shared with me. Hmm. You know, I've, I've, I love asking authors this because it varies from person to person. And one of the things that I've always seen with books is sometimes they use, they use you know, really large words. And it's, sometimes it's hard for people because they don't know all these words. So they got to go to a dictionary and look it up. I mean, it's, it's amazing to read and, and it's just fun to read like that. But they don't always understand the words. What do you prefer in terms of writing? Should people use words that are a little bit more complex? I mean, because in, in ways we do learn from it. But in the other ways, it can kind of distract, distract from the story depending on who's reading it, I think. What's your, what's your opinion on that? I, I absolutely agree with you 100%. I think that, I mean, especially I've been a teacher and I've had kids, you know, reading. We've read books together at school and class. And when they come to words that stop them dead in the story and they don't understand it and you can't figure out the context from the context, what the meaning is, it's very distracting. So I do think in, in fiction, we should strive to write uses mostly words that the average person will know and, you know, save the, the higher caliber words for the more intellectual writing or nonfiction. It makes sense because, you know, I, I, one of the things I love is The Great Gatsby. And I know it was written in the 20s and it was written by an extremely, you know, prolific guy that had a, a, an extraordinary vocabulary, but it was hard to read. And it's just because of the fact that there was that time frame where they spoke differently to begin with, but then on top of it, the words were bigger, and if you weren't quite used to that, it could be very hard to read the book, but it's a great book no matter what. No, it is a great book, but that's part of what the reality is, is back in those days when he wrote that book, that kind of language was more typical. Our education system was better. People understood those words. Nowadays, we they don't. I mean, young people, we, we use the Great Gatsby still in high school. Yeah, we have to do all this vocabulary preloading because they don't they're not going to know what any of these words are. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a shame, too, because I, you know, I think that, that kind of is something that's important. You know, it is a way of, of, of talking, and, and it's supposed to always use in slang. Sometimes those words are a little bit more elegant, and they are, you know, more dignified in ways. But we don't seem to, we seem to lose that because of the way we speak. I agree with you. We've, we've somewhat, we've rather dumbed ourselves down, I think, in America, and it's partly education system, and it's partly uh, the entertainment that we have, because it, it's so prevalent, the movies and television shows and and uh, music, and they don't use that kind of language uh, anymore in mm-hmm. these shows and movies and songs. So kids, young people, even adults are not exposed to them. Yeah, and I, and I think that's something I would I would like to see change eventually, but... I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I don't think so. I think you're right on that one. <laughs> so tell me a little, a little bit about your book here, because um, I, I, you know, it's I, I got so many questions. I don't know what, really where to where to jump with. I, you know what? Before we get into your book, I love that you also writ, written, uh, you know, low budget horror films, and that you also were uh, stage plays. You know, th- there's such a dynamic difference in how they're written. Was that a challenge for you? It is always a challenge because you you have to visualize things differently and present them differently. And it is that Children of the Night originated as a screenplay. It, that's how it started. And then I turned it into a novel. Well, it, it's a totally different process because with, with a screenplay, you you know, the, the director and the art, art director and all that, they're going to really do most of the visualization, and you don't need to describe as much of the action. You can just say they chase, there's a chase down the street, and you know, and then it's all staged, but in a book, of course, you have to do all of that detail. You've got to paint that picture for the reader that the director is going to do in a movie. And, and same with a stage play. You have to, both of those, you have to be able to get what's going on inside the character purely through action and dialogue. There's, there's no, you're never going to know what he's thinking or she's thinking, not in a movie or a play. So it's really, it is a challenge. It, it, in many ways, it's more difficult to do that. It's, you have to be more creative to figure out a visual way to show what's going on inside the character. 
What made you decide to do one? Because I know that you know it's always it's always fun to to visualize your your stories into into movies and stuff like that. But you know to actually physically put one together, what made you what what gave you the inspiration to do that? Well, I I also besides reading, I loved movies when I was uh, growing up, and I I did get my bachelor's degree. I had this was in theater and English. And then I got, I went and got a master's degree in, in film production from Loyola Marymount University because it was an area that I was interested in, particularly the screenwriting. And, uh, it was, it was just because I, I liked writing and, and I liked movie making and I liked movies. So I, I thought it was an area I would give it a try and see if I could make a go of it. See, I love that. You know, a lot of people get distracted or get, you know, intimidated by things and you're, you actually decided to give it a shot. And, um, you know, that's awesome. You know, I, I don't get the. I see so many people giving up on stuff. So I'm glad you went for it. And it, what did it come out exactly the way you wanted it? And did you did you get the fulfillment fulfillment from it? Well, it was fun. I, uh, making the low budget horror movies was a lot of fun, but it, it's not very profitable in the you know uh, right. you don't really get too far with it. And in terms of you know making a living, I, I ended up uh, teaching high school because I, I that was another passion of mine to work with kids. And I always thought about being a teacher. It's interesting that I had all these passions and ideas, and I was able to try out so many of them and do them, which was great. But uh, so I did enjoy making the films, but it just you know it was I couldn't make a living doing it. Sure. So tell me a little bit about your book now, because then you know th- this is uh, this sounds like a really cool book. It's called Children of the Night, and it's called K N I G H T. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the background of the book. Well, the background of the book really stems from my experiences working with incarcerated kids, uh, gang members, working with uh, kids at the high school I worked at, which could be both. I mean, they often overlap. Sometimes the kids that I would teach in school would end up in the hall, and, or sometimes they were they were gang members uh, in, in the neighborhoods that I worked. That's just the reality. And so I I wanted to tell a story that humanize these kids because in, in this country we we have a very throwaway mentality we in my view we created a society that marginalizes all of these kids makes them feel not wanted pushes them like out into the street but then when they get in trouble we go oh well now we have to throw them away put them in prison lock them up get them out of sight out of mind and that it really angered me because I met so many of these kids I worked with them and they were amazing amazing people that everyone else would tell me, why do you, why do you spend your time with those kids? They're criminals. They're bad. They're, I go, no, they're not. You don't know them. And so I, I wanted to write this book, this whole series, because it's the first book of a, of a, a five book series that really is all one long story. I, do, I wanted to humanize these, these kids and, and so that readers will, who would never met someone like that might come to understand that, hey, I haven't walked in his shoes, so I really should not be throwing stuff. That's true, and you know they are they are marginalized very easily because they, you know people don't want to deal with that stuff, and it's easier to write them off than it is to rehabilitate and give them a give them a purpose because that takes work, and I don't think people like to do that too much. No, you're correct, and that's the problem with our our education system. We want to throw them away, we want to kick kids out, expel them, move them, get rid of them. We don't want to actually take the time to figure out what's going on in their lives and help them fix it so that they can fit in and get an education and and get their lives on track. We don't want to do that. Now with the education system, I know I know that that's kind of a, a basis about about this, but what about just, you know, passing kids? You know, you, you see kids every day that cannot read, cannot write, but yet they are graduating high school. And I think that kind of sets them up for failure. Why aren't we taking the time as as a uh, you know, society to make sure that they understand that, so they don't get frustrated and act out as a, as a as a, as a uh, young adult and do th- and do bad things because ni- almost ninety percent of the people that seem to be end up uh, incarcerated can't read or write, and that's that's a problem. No, you are one hundred percent correct. Most of those kids that I've worked with were poor readers or were special ed. But again, the problem is that education. The system is one size must fit all. If you don't fit, we want to get rid of you. And they don't want to deal with kids that are, are weaker than others in certain areas or can't uh, handle the curriculum. We, we make this idiotic assumption that 
here's this curriculum that were created by bureaucrats, and somehow every single kid has to be able to master it. Well, that doesn't make sense because we're not the same. We're all different. And they pass kids along. I mean, I remember getting kids in high school. They would have very, you know, unusual or even disturbing behaviors. And I'm, I couldn't figure out where it came from. And I'd go back and I'd look at their CUM folder from the first grade on. And the behaviors were there in the first grade. He was moved on to the second grade. The third the behaviors continued and escalated. No treatment. No, nothing, nothing was done. And so then by the time they get to high school, it's, it's, it's accelerated a lot. And then the kids are getting in trouble and they're getting arrested and they're going to juvenile hall. And it's all because the system doesn't want to deal with individuals. It just wants that group think. You all have to be the same. We're going to move you all on and then move on to the next group. That's how it thinks. That's, that's terrible. And I knew, I knew some kids that were suffering in school and they were having a hard time. And, you know, they did get, they got, they got suspended a lot. They had, they had issues and stuff. And, you know, it, it made it harder for them. And a lot of them unfortunately dropped out because they just didn't think they were smart enough. But I think they were smart enough, just nobody gave them the time or found an alternative way to educate them. So that's absolutely true. Most of the kids that drop out, they drop out because school is not useful to them. They're not getting what they need. We again, we want to keep everybody the same, and we're not the same. So, in my view, it's not hard to change, except that the system doesn't want to change. But you know, you 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 work with the kids that are that have their the strengths. You you focus on their strengths. You try to shore up their weaknesses. But not everybody needs to go to Harvard. Not everybody needs to go to university. They there there there's a place for everybody in this world and in this country, and we need to just help the kids find out what they're best at, and then keep moving them along so that they can succeed at that area that they like and they're good at. Well, we, don't, we don't do that because it's too complicated. It's difficult. You know, it's difficult to differentiate your instruction and to really help kids as individuals. So with the book, what do you hope that people take away from it when they read it? Well, I hope that they will see, again, as I mentioned, the these kinds of kids that are very marginalized and not see when they read in the paper about a teenager who was arrested and the media is extremely one-sided they don't do their homework they never uh, examine what led up to that arrest why was that child arrested they also paint the story like he or she is guilty and as we know we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty but not not with the juveniles. They are always said to be guilty in, in the media. And people read that and they think, oh, they're terrible. They're terrible. They're horrible kids and, and they should be, we should throw them away. We should put them in prison for life. And I just want uh, people to understand that they are not like that. And there are reasons why they're in trouble. There are reasons why they're on the street. I mean, there's, there, in this Children of a Night series, there are prominent gay teenagers. That's another area group of kids is extremely marginalized in this country. They're very marginalized. I've worked with a lot of these kids, amazing kids, great kids, and but people that don't know them just want to want to marginalize them. It's just easy to do. And so that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping if people read it, especially young people, that's why I aim the books at young people. I want them to meet these kids and get to understand them a little bit better even though they may never have met anyone like that in their lives. Mm, I like that. And, you know, one of the things that I've always been strong on is helping helping people uh, just succeed in what they do, you know, and inspiring them to do it. Because I know that there's so many different ways of, of learning things and, and dealing with people, and not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody does things the same way. Not everybody thinks the same way. But, um, you know, unfortunately, those that don't seem to fall through the tra- cracks, and that's where I've always tried to inspire myself, and I'm glad that your book is, is, is trying to do the same thing, and also showing people that, you know, there is an alternative way to help them, and, uh, you know, that just because they don't necessarily walk the walk or talk the talk like we do doesn't mean that they're garbage either. Exactly, exactly. That really is at the heart of the whole series, and the other big theme in it is that in America, we have this this notion that children are property. They're yeah. property of parents, they're property of caregivers, they're property of government, they're property of schools. And they're not. They're human beings, and they're all unique, and they all have a soul, a mind, a heart. They are not mini-me's, and they are not property. I mean, I have a son at home. 
who I'm in the process of adopting, he's not my property. He is, he is his own self, and I need to allow him to be his own self, but just try to work with him to help him be the best version of himself that he can be. And that's my job as a teacher or as a volunteer or anything else, is not to try to make everybody the same. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, this has been a lot of fun. Very educational, too. I mean, I, I hope that this wakes people's uh, wake, wakes people up to what's going on in our society, our kids, and our school. Um, I know you've written a lot of other books and stuff. Where can people follow you and see what you've got going on? Any books that, that, that and where can they buy your books and uh, see what else is going on in your life? Well, if they look for me on Amazon, uh, Michael J. Bowler uh, meets the J. Uh, there is, a, I have an Amazon page and it lists all my books. And I have a website, michaeljbowler.com, and I've got blog posts up there and people can read about, a little bit more about my books and what I have done and in those blog posts. And yeah, they can find the books uh, at Amazon primarily. And the Kindle, Kindle Unlimited also has them. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you for coming on and being such a great guest and, and you know, hopefully educating the people that are listening today. And I, I think that's very important. Well, thank you, Jason. I really have enjoyed chatting with you and I appreciate you giving me the time to come on. Absolutely. Well, definitely have to get you back on if you ever decide to, to write any more books or anything else you got coming out. Well, I've always got more books written. I just have to, I've got to find a home for them. <laughs> I hear that. Well, thank you. And we wish you all the best in 2019. And, uh, We'll talk, we'll talk hopefully in the next, next year sometime. Great. Thank you so much, Jason. Happy New Year to you. You too. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Just don't go anywhere. We got more. Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> Hi there, this is Kim Coles, and you can find my newest book, Open Your Gifts, at OpenYourGiftsBook.com. That's www.OpenYourGiftsBook.com. I hope you'll pick up a copy. Would love to have you read it. Bye. Hey, I'm Michael Rosander, and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have another exciting guest coming on. His name is Spence Reed. He's an artist with a blend of rock uh, of styles. So he has a pop rock style, country music, and R&B. So he's got something for everybody, I guarantee you. If you like any type of music, you're going to like his stuff because it sounds like he can, he can encompass just about everything. And he's uh, putting out some new singles here uh, throughout 2018 and into 2019. And we're going to be talking to him about his newest single, I Want You To. And we're excited to, to talk to him about his career and what he loves about music and so much more. So welcome, Spence, to the show. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm doing good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. So, you know, it's the end of 2018 here. We're getting ready to go into 2019. Um, did, the, did the year fly by for you? Oh, it's crazy. Whenever you, you know, me personally, uh, all fall I've been releasing new music and I look back to six months ago, and it seems like it was just yesterday. You know, whenever you're releasing music as frequently as I have been, it's just time goes by, and you're, it's just been a crazy couple of months. It has. It really has. And, you know, what I'm going to do is right now is I'm going to take you on a little bit of a 
a little bit of a time warp. So we're going to go back in time, and then we're going to jump forward in time, and we're going to hear some, about some of your music here, which is, I, I'm really excited to, to uh, get into. So tell me a little, little, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you start to get into music, and what made it so special for you? Yeah, I first started playing guitar when I was in middle school. Uh, the youth pastor at my church was actually in the church band, and I decided that I should probably pick up an instrument if I wanted to keep playing with him. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I picked it up when I was in middle school, and I never really put the guitar down after that. And uh, with the years of practice came, you know, I started singing more and more. And, you know, one thing just led to another, and now I'm in Nashville. Uh, I played in a band for a little bit when I lived in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, but now that I'm down in Nashville, I'm doing the solo thing, and it's been working out pretty well so far. So hopefully things continue to go well for us. Now singing, you know, sometimes you can you can play instruments, and some people can pick it up and they're not great at it. Some people can pick it up and they're w wonderful at it. But singing is different. Not everybody can sing. So was that a difficult thing for you to do, or did it kind of come naturally for you? Uh, it was not natural at all. I, I was really bad when I first started to sing. I was playing guitar without any formal training singing-wise, and I would listen back to the tracks, and I was like, oh, my gosh, is that me? I should probably get some lessons. So I ended up you know, working with some really great vocal coaches, and uh, now I'm in a better place with my voice. So it definitely didn't come naturally for me. So who are some of your, your biggest inspirations growing up in music that you look up to, and hopefully someday you will be just as big, if not bigger, than they are? Well, I think number one is Dave Matthews Band. I've been to something like 20 Dave Matthews Band concerts, and uh, their music really shaped, you know, they're part of every memory I've made for the past 10 years or so. Uh, I think people like John Mayer and Eric Clapton are inspirational for their the way that they play guitar is you know those are the guys that i look at for that uh and also john mayer lyrically uh, there's just something about the way that he can put lyrics to a song that is just truly impressive so i'd say those are my top three probably mm. i see that now you know you got to you actually have a quite a you know, eclectic blend of music styles that you put into your uh, in your music here. I mean, I see from, from pop Thank to rock you. to to uh, country and R and B. Is that easy to do? Uh, to to join so many different you know uh, genres together. You know, I I get that question a lot, and people that ask me what genre the music is, I tell them I truly don't know. I just leave it up to the listener, whatever they think the genre is. I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds good to me. Uh, but the way that I write music, the the way that you hear it is the way that my, you know, just the way that it comes out. I think about what I want the song to sound like in my head, and it's not like I have a specific genre in mind. Just the way that it comes out is the way that it is, and it's always been that way. My music tends to ride the line between multiple genres, and I'm totally fine with that. You're borderless, and that's great because you're not you're not you know just stuck to one thing. Because sometimes when people are right. labeled as something, if they decide to cross over, it can be detrimental to them and and destroy their career. Yeah. So you know, being able to transcend to into everything that's definitely uh, you know a, a huge plus for you. Exactly. Yeah, I feel the same way. So writing music, when it comes to writing uh, music, what is your what's your inspirational? Uh, process uh, when do, do you go out to a, a place and people watch for a little bit and just start writing things do you just can't sleep at nighttime like most artists can't you know 12 o'clock at night you're tired you're gonna hit your head on the pillow you wake up it's like ah, I got a great idea so you're up till like <laughs> two in the morning I, what is it for you well it's for me it's just little things you know I'm always I have music on my mind every minute of every day so if I have if I'm listening to music and I hear even a single small part of a song that is really interesting to me, I'll go home, I'll pick up my guitar, and I'll try to expand on the inspiration from a single moment of the song. Uh, you know, it's things like that. There's also co-writing that I get into down in Nashville, uh, writing with other writers. And whenever you have multiple minds working towards creating just one song, you know, you have different ideas coming from a lot of different directions. So... Uh, that's also pretty exciting for not only just me, but other people who co-write as well. Mm -hmm. And 
with music, there's such a uh, influx of people. Some of them are horrific. I don't even know how they got into it. And then there's some that are just <laughs> phenomenal. But, you know, to stand out in that crowd, no matter what, it's crowded. How do you make yourself stand out so that way people notice you? Well, I, I think you have to stick true to, you know, what, uh, what you're good at and your sound. You don't always need to conform to what everybody else is doing. If you do that, I think that the music becomes white noise. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've always kind of stood strong and true to is, you know, I have a pretty good idea of what my sound is, and that's what I'm going to stick with. So before we get into your song here, because I definitely want to talk about that here, and I want people to listen to it, but let's jump to the future now. You know, it's almost 2019, and uh, obviously there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening for you. What are some of your goals for 2019 in your music? Yeah, so we do have a couple more single releases planned for the spring months of 2019, including a uh, full production release that we're going to be sending out to country radio. So I'm planning a radio tour to support that right now, and we're looking at about a March or an April release. So everything I'm doing from now until then is pretty much prepped for that big release. Is it hard to hold back knowing that you got the songs and you know you want to get them out there and let people hear them, but you got to wait for that day, otherwise you're going to get yelled at, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. It, there's so much planning that goes into all of these songs. The song that I'll be releasing uh, this spring, I've actually been sitting on for two years. And I'm very confident in the song, but I just haven't released it yet because the timing hasn't been right. And we're finally at a point now where we think the timing is good. We have some momentum building. And I I really do think people, it's it's the type of song that's going to resonate well with a lot of people. And I'd like to get your take on this because I, I, it's fascinating how everybody has a different interpretation of it. But what is your idea of success? I mean, some people say it's a lot of money. Some people say it's the, the joy of doing what I'm doing. Some people say it's, it's getting awards. It might be a, an eclectic blend of all of that for you. What is your definition of success in music? Oh, it's it's got to be the joy in what you're doing. Uh, I don't think it's worth doing anything if you're not loving what you're doing. Uh, you know, you can make all the money in the world, but if you don't love the music that you're making or, you know, anything else that you're doing, the movies that you're making, the houses that you're building, then I guess it doesn't, it doesn't really truly matter. So it's just, you got to love what you're doing. So for me, it's definitely the joy. Mm. So let's talk about your single now. Um, it's called I Want You To. Give us a little bit of the background behind this particular song. How'd you come up with it? Yeah, so this this song is actually a derivative of a Thomas Rhett song I was listening to when I was in the gym one day, and just like I was talking about earlier in the interview, uh, I heard one part of the song and it inspired me. I went home and I started writing lyrics, and then I contacted uh, another writer in town, Chris Bergsmith, and we got together and we finished writing the entire song. I put a riff with it, and it it came out pretty well. It's probably my favorite track that I've released so far. And in the beginning of 2019, we're going to be releasing a remastered version of the song, and I'm really excited about it. So does the does the lyrics of the song resonate with anything truth in your life? Like, the, is there something that happened to you? Is it a personal experience, or is it just an observation? Uh, most of the writing that I do are observational. Um, this song is a relationship, a relationship type song, and I think people will get that whenever they hear it. Um, but yeah, most of the writing that I do is definitely observational. Hmm. So, what makes this what makes this track stand out for you? Because I know you know you got to put something personal in it, and you, like I said, it's an observation. So. How do you how do you put yourself inside this song and make it sellable to people that you know? Because that's what I think what really makes music exciting is when people sell you know make it their own in their in their uh, in that song, even if it is a cover. How did you make this one your own? Yeah, I think this this song really encompasses the the groove uh, or the moody style that I think my music is really trying to attain. Uh, whenever you listen to it, you'll notice it's very stripped down. We have very minimal percussion. 
and acoustic guitar and that's the way that i envision most of my music being so this song out of all the ones that we've released so far i think it embodies truly like whenever i want somebody to understand the type of music that spence reed is i always play i want you to for them Hmm. now as far as some of the newer the other releases that you've put out this year what are some of those releases and what connection do they have to you or do they also tell a story or, or is there anyone that's specifically about you or anything like that yeah so the uh the most recent one that we've released is called christmas eve and as you can imagine it's a christmas song mm-hmm. uh i wrote that song with kerrigan berry another writer down in nashville and we wrote it in in the sense of a christmas lullaby so we hear a lot of Christmas music on the radio, but not a lot of them are written in the lullaby-style format. So that's how we did that one. And, you know, both Kerrigan and I have, like, nieces and nephews in our lives. So whenever we were writing that song, we really kept them in the back of our mind, and the song turned out really well. So, And then before that, we had a, I released another song, Just a Memory. And a lot of writers in Nashville they draw inspiration from like one single night anytime they need like a boost or they're experiencing writer's block uh, they'll always go back to this one specific night and i have it uh, and i've tried to write a song that encompasses that night probably 200 different times and i've never gotten it right Uh, and just the memory is my most recent rendition of that night and i think it's the closest i've ever been to it so those are the songs that we've released so far, and as I said earlier, we have a couple more that are planned. Yeah. So. Well, Spence, uh, I do want to be able to get the song on here, so we're running out of time. Tell everybody where they can find you, uh, find your music, uh, buy a single, or if you are on tour or any, got any merchandise, how can they pick up some uh, merchandise or see you on tour as well? Right, so you can find me online. I'm uh, available on all social media platforms. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. You can look up Spence Reed Official or Spence Reed Music. Also, my website is spencereed.com, and if you go there, that's kind of the hub for all of my social my social sites. And also, it has Spotify links, Apple links, so everything you could ever need is on the website there. Well, Spence, we are about ready to play your song here. I want you, and I want you to be able to. Give it a personal message to your to the listeners out there. Get them pumped up to go listen to it. Um, you can do it better than I can. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Oh man, oh man, no pressure though. Right? No, no pressure. All right. Whenever the listeners are listening to this song, I imagine this being a summer style song, rolling down a back road, windows down. I think you're really going to enjoy the lightheartedness of the song. So I hope you like it. And we are playing I Want You To right now. So uh, after the song, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. Don't go anywhere. Enjoy the song. We'll be right back after this. I never want to get messed up, tore up, broke up. I'm going out of my mind, desperate, in love, crazy, calling all the time. Baby, you got my number, and I know you're going to take me under. But I want you to, I want you to, I want you to You drive me out of my never loving mind No red lights, no stop signs Give me all that you got, don't waste no time Cause I want you to, I want you to, I want you to You put on those sweatpants, t-shirt, no makeup You gon' need tonight, highway Headlights, your car, you're pulling into my drive And baby, you got the key And if you want me, I want you to I want you to, I want you to You drive me out of my never loved mind No red lights, no stop signs Give me all that you got Don't waste no time And we could dance in the kitchen My hand in your hips a little kissing, wine in your lips Go dial that number, baby With your sweet fingertips Cause I want you to I want you to I want you to Yeah, I want you to I want you to 
love sober If you want me, then girl, come on over I want you to, I want you to, I want you to Yeah, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to You drive me out of mind, never loved mine No red lights, no stop signs Give me all that you got Don't waste no time We could dance in the kitchen My hand in your hips Do a little kissing Wine in your lips Go dial that number, baby With your sweet fingertips Cause I want you to I want you to I want you to Yeah, I want you to I want you to I want you to I never wanna get messed up Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can come between us now. Nothing can take away, break away the power of love. Hey, this is Jennifer McGill, and you're listening to my first single, Unbreakable. You can get it at jennifermcgill.com. This is Big Dibetetto. You are listening to the AME Radio Show. Sam Cooke singing on the radio You say that I'm the boy Who can make it all come true Well, I'm telling you that All right, guys, we are ready to close out the show already. we got about two minutes left. I can't believe it. We had a great time with you. We had a great time with our guests. They enjoyed talking to you and showing you what they're most passionate about and of course what they got going on i hope that you go check out their albums and uh, you'll check out their books and uh find something new and creative to to just kind of space out in and and forget life for a while that's what they do it for that's what we do it for all right so uh we are here every single week we are on every friday and saturday and you can find us by going to amfm247.com and listening on their 11 AMFM stations. Or you can listen online every Friday at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time and every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Two different guests per show, so tune into each show. You can also find us on wklap.com every Friday at 11 a.m. and every Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find us on radiolove.com every Saturday at 9 p.m., and that is RadioLoveLUV.com. You can also find us on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, uh, Phoenix Broadcasting, and more. On demand, anytime you want. So we are on a lot of major platforms. We get a lot of hits, and we are excited for everybody that does tune in and joins us each and every week. So... Before we go, I want to tell you guys also that we have a lot of great stuff coming up. We have some new advertising packages and sponsorships if you want to be a part of the AME experience in different ways. Um, we are also working on some brand new stuff. So we're going to be doing some new te- uh, television stuff. I got some great ideas that we're going to be doing that we're going to be following. Some We're going to be covering a little bit more food this year. And I think you guys will really enjoy that as well. Uh, we also have the Hannah Anders uh, 
a day in the life of television show that is now on our YouTube channel. Please go check that out as well. And uh, we got a lot more stuff coming up. So keep those creative juices flowing. We will see you again tomorrow night and uh, with more great stuff. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.